Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jennifer White. I am here with Ellen Trackman, who Hi. is my incredible sister. Hello, yes. Ellen. Good. Mention uh, the sister parks. Be like, I, I didn't know you're related. I, you know, I'm still stunned every time how many people are like, "What? You're related?" I'm like, "Yes, yes." I we we don't hide this fact. <laughs> so, um, okay, so you know, since I know you, but not everybody mm-hmm. else knows you as sure. well as I might, um, <laughs> tell me what is a crazy or new activity that either you have done or would like to do. Um, I can't think of a crazy new activity. I'm sure there's many, many crazy new activities I'd like to do, but I did just try something new that I hadn't done before that was interesting. Uh, I had seen advertisements for those indoor sky place, skydiving places. And we recently went as a family, um, to, as for a birthday to try it and do it. And it was... It was pretty crazy. It was pretty unique. Yeah. Uh, it felt pretty wild. I couldn't breathe very well, and I found myself kind of like drooling on myself. <laughs> like it was, uh, I think they took a video, but I didn't want it. <laughs> You're like, I don't want the drooly video. Thank you. Yeah, bro. yeah. It's like, oh, smile with your like mouth closed. I don't know. <laughs> wow. How All right. You? What would you, what kind of new experience would you like to try? I... I actually have to admit I'm super boring and I yeah, can't no, think of anything yeah, right I know I know and that's mm-hmm. when like I'm just being true to my type right uh, yeah. I can't think of anything I'm always up like, for an adventure exciting, like taking up crochet or like knitting uh, I sadly again anybody who talks to me while I'm like having a consult or things like that I am usually knitting in the background if mm. you believe it or not so what? um I am yeah yeah, I, I I am now going to take a picture and send Can it to you right after we get off the air. Any, I want to see that. What are you working on right now? Uh, it's just a little blue blanket. Like Aww. seriously, uh, uh, does it is it intended? For... No, I just it keeps my hands busy. So quite literally, wow. um, yeah. Okay. So see how boring I am wow. now. Everybody knows precisely how boring I am, yeah. but. Um, somebody who is not boring <laughs> is our <laughs> next sure. guest. Um, she is amazing and incredible, totally and amazing. I cannot wait for y'all to hear about her. Welcome, Nikki Waymeyer, to the show. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us. And I will say I've been so, so excited to have you on for so long. I think we've been begging you for years now. So thank you for finally coming together. (laughs) I definitely asked at the very beginning of this story. And I know there's there's some reasons, and we'll talk later about why we had to hold to tell this story. But we've been asking for a very long time. And (laughs) I, I just want to throw out here to start that Nikki is one of the kindest just most incredibly kindest people I have ever had the privilege of knowing in my life. So just, just want to throw that right out there. So nice. Like never has a crossword to say about anybody and is so generous. Um, So so where to start, Nikki, how did you become such a kind and generous person? Were you born that way or did something like inspire you? Um, Pretty sure I was born that way because it definitely wasn't life circumstances and probably a few people in my life that are like, Oh, Nikki never has a crossword to say they're like, my mom is definitely rolling her eyes. Like, Oh, really? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Have you spent a little bit of time with her when no one's listening? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I, I have um, 
I have my mom's sass, but I also have my mom's big heart. So I think it just comes from my the mostly the women in my family. Not that there's anything wrong with the men, but the women in my family are like really empathetic, awesome people. Hmm, I love that. Uh, so do you want to give a little bit of background before we go into your story of like where you grew up, where you are now, and we can also talk about what you do professionally and what led to that. Cause all, I feel like we're we'll all there, right? together. <laughs> yeah. We're going to start out so much. Yeah. So, um, well, I was born in Texas, um, born in Dallas actually, and then lived in East Texas, very, very tiny town called Carthage, which is barely not even a dot on the map. Um, I went back to Dallas when I was about 18, and then at 27, I came to California, and I've been here for more than I'm willing to tell you, because then you'll know how old I am. <laughs> and we might use time. math. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've, I've been here for a little over 13 years. Um, I'm a mother of two. My daughter is going to be 22 in a few months. My son just turned 13, and I did get into all of this um, specifically because I do work in egg donation and surrogacy um, on the agency side. So yeah, I I help people make babies all day. (laughs) So um, I just had a kindergartner who at the end of year, they give this, um, this presentation, they have all the kindergartners go to the microphone and say what they want to do. And it's like, police officer, artist, it's really adorable. Did you go to the microphone as a kindergartner and say, egg donation program director? No, I I did not. Um, This is probably, you probably shouldn't even air this part, but when I was about five. Now it's going to be good. It's definitely airing. (laughs) When when I was about five, for reasons I may never understand, I told my mom that when I grew up, I wanted to be an educated stripper. Um, Wow. But by the time I was about six, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. (laughs) So, I think you're going to say, or not educated. I, that's fine. <laughs> or, or, or that, you know, now, now that the gas prices have gone up, you know, uh. nothing's off the table. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's um, most of growing up, I wanted to be a teacher and I'm, I'm actually not even sure I wanted to be a teacher. I just grew up in a really small town where you were either a stay at home mom, a teacher or a nurse. Like there wasn't really anything else. Um, yeah. So for most of my life, I just thought, okay, well, I like that one the best, you know, out of the options, because I definitely didn't want to stay at home with the kids. I just wanted to go to school and then maybe send them home, you know, mad at them, write them up or something. (laughs) um, Yeah. So no, egg donation was definitely not on my radar even a little bit until right before I started my career. So how how did you you get there? there? (laughs) Exactly. Um, So whenever I... After I had my son, the young, the youngest one who just turned 13, whenever we moved to California and I was just looking for a random job at that point, like just office work, I'd always work like doctor's office. I worked in real estate. Um, I just wanted to get my foot in the door as far as anything that was in an office. And I applied for an ad. Um, it didn't say what it was for. It just kind of described the, the process or the company in general without saying anything about infertility. And I went in for my interview. Um, my boss, Lisa, she'll tell you many times that the, the one thing I said when she was like, so why should we hire you? And I said, because um, I'm perfect. Uh, <laughs> That's what I told her. Like, I, was, I couldn't think of any reason not to. Um, so anyway, I wound up getting hired and it was just an admin job. Um, and whenever I started, there were 
three of us total. Now there's almost 20 and um, I definitely am not an admin anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I was, I fell into it and within a month I was completely obsessed. I was drowning myself day and night and everything I could possibly read about the industry. Just, I felt like I put myself through a six month college course for something you could really never go to college for unless you are one of the doctors. Right. Right. And do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do now? Um, Yeah. So I am the egg donation program director at a company called the Genesis Group. I manage the donor program in general. I also still try to keep my hands in case management and the matching process and, you know, not just doing like the in the office kind of stuff. I still am very connected to the personal experience of the donors and of the intended parents and their journeys. Um, So I spend a lot of my day guiding them still through the process and the ups and downs while also managing the team um, and making sure that we don't all completely lose our minds. (laughs) Most important part. Yes. Right. And following the changing world as it is right now, yes. oh, wait, wait, that, that would be a longer conversation entirely. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right, right. So the big reason we have you here is that you did something, and I'm trying to bury the lead a little bit to let you talk about it. Um, you did something amazing a number of years ago. Um and very talk unique. about yeah so <laughs> if you don't mind talk about kind of again try not to say it and let you say it what led you to even look into what you did and and got you there and just start through we'll, we'll, we'll start through and see where it takes us okay yeah so um I never was an egg donor uh, mostly because by the time I started my career I was on the older end you know, family history wasn't really something that I um, necessarily wanted to pass on. No offense to my family if they're listening. Um, but <laughs> what, like the doctors would have said, you know, we really don't need all of that moving forward. Um, but and then, to be fair, it's very easy to be disqualified, right? Oh, yeah. Somebody yeah, no, it was it was all super simple stuff. It was just, you know, I, I didn't qualify really to be a, a donor. So then there were... Um, there were about two years that were really weighing heavy on my mind about being a surrogate. Um, To be completely transparent, I hate pregnancy. I hate everything about it, but (laughs) that's a good reason um, not to be a surrogate. Exactly. I I do too. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So there was like, there was this struggle with myself where like, I have obviously this overwhelming desire to do it because, you know, day in and day out, I see the impact it has. But at the same time, I'm like, that doesn't sound like fun. Um, and at right at that time, I had started considering specifically caring for an HIV positive couple, um, just in memory of someone that I knew it was kind of like, it was going to be like a tribute to them. Like, I'm going to do this and make this difference in your honor. Someone that I know who passed from AIDS. Um, so I was deep in the thought process and discussions with that, with friends and family, um, and my kids. And then I saw um, this opportunity fa- posted on Facebook. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say yet, but um, so, you can. whatever order you want. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to okay. release it for you. I wanted to be you. Your story. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, one of the ladies who runs a nonprofit foundation to do grants for IVF in this industry. I'm friends with her on Facebook, and she had 
posted that she was headed into surgery to do a uterus transplant and she was going to donate her uterus. And so immediately I was like, whoa, wait, what? Because, you know, my Google alerts and stuff over the years of my career, they it shown me they had done it in Sweden. So like I knew it was a thing. I had no idea that it had fully made its way like that to the U.S. yet. Um, so I reached out to her and I got all the information I could about how she applied. I applied that night and then, um, I heard back initially the next day just to kind of get the, the paperwork. Wow. That's quick. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they got back to me the next day. I wasn't matched the next day, but they did get back to me the next day, which was really nice. Um, but once I saw that opportunity and I was just like, that's, that's it. That's what I meant to do. Whatever's weighing on me right now, like that, where I'm feeling this pull that I'm supposed to do something that I need to do for someone else. That was it. Like it just stuck right away. And did you have any idea going into it, like what that process looked like and what the medical risks were like and the recovery? I did not. Not when I applied. Um, So then April, who was the lady I had learned about it from, um, I followed her journey because she started posting about it once she actually was going into surgery and then her follow up and stuff like that. So I didn't know when I applied what the risks were going to be. I definitely learned about a thousand times over the the course of the screening process. Um, But I went into it completely blindly and honestly didn't probably care. (laughs) They they weren't, they weren't going to talk me out of it. And there was even a point during the screening process where, because my mom went with me to some of the appointments and she's like, whatever you have to say to her, you're not going to change her mind. Wow. (laughs) It's amazing. So from the time you applied to the time you were matched, what, how long was it? And what did that process look like? So I applied in December, 2018. Um, You know, they let me know they got all my paperwork. I sent in some additional records, stuff like that, that they needed. And then it was just kind of a wait and see. They were at that point, they were towards the end of the trial. They were going to do 20 of the transplants. So they were towards the end, and at that time, they did not need my blood type, um, an A blood type. So she she said, if, you know, something comes up or anything changes, we'll let you know. And then they called me in April. So from December to April, I just, I didn't hear anything. In April of 2019, that's when they called me, and they said, okay, maybe now we're going to have a match for you. And they wanted me to schedule the testing. So I scheduled the testing for two weeks later. So beginning of May, I flew out to Dallas and started the testing process, which is a two-day process. Um, But ultimately, that one didn't end up working out. That match got canceled. Which Was the testing pretty intense? Is it similar to surrogacy? What does it look like? So you meet with a psychologist. That part was a little bit similar because I did have to do a written test and then also like the actual interview part of the process. Um, But the rest of it it was pretty intense. Like they did an EKG. They took 18 vials of blood. Um, I had to meet with three different surgeons and two nurses. I got a CT, I got an MRI, I got a chest x-ray, and I got an ultrasound. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah, I had so many little tag bracelets because they put them all in every department you go to in the hospital. They remove the one you've already done. Yeah, so it looked like I had come from some sort of club, like with all these bracelets until I got done. (laughs) Yeah. 
way less fun though because mm. the MRI I'm yeah I'm claustrophobic so the MRI I was like ah mm-hmm. so that match didn't work out what happened next um so that one didn't ma- that didn't work out and I was actually I was waiting about a week for the testing to come back but while I was waiting whatever happened with that recipient I don't know just because of HIPAA um, but something happened and then that recipient didn't need an A blood type. So I'm going to guess that she was wrong about her blood type, but I don't know. Um, So then we go to mid-June. They call me and they let me know that whatever happened with that entire case didn't work out. So they may have another match for me. And then this is the point where I start to feel like what intended parents and surrogates and donors feel like when they're waiting on their match. Um, like, I'm like, oh, this really kind of sucks. Like I was way more disappointed about the first one not working out than I even realized I was going to be. Um, but they call, so they call me in June. They're like, we think we have a match for you, but because she didn't know that she was going to get to be the 20th out of the 20 surgeries. So she thought she wasn't going to get surgery either. She hadn't gone through IVF yet to make embryos because once they get accepted into the transplant program, they make embryos because most of the women are born with their ovaries, even though they don't have a uterus. Oh. Um, so she had, they're like, we'll have to wait for her to make embryos, um, which was obviously totally fine with me. But being in the industry that we're in, I'm also knowing like, okay, if she starts meds today, she'll probably have appointments <laughs> on this day. She'll probably have, her, like I'm timing in my head every second I could possibly know about what's going on with her. Um, since it was completely anonymous, but I knew kind of when she would know if she had embryos. And then, so whenever she did have the embryos created, they sent me for one more blood test just to cross type us again to make sure that we were not going to have any incompatibilities. And then they scheduled us for October 23rd of that year. And when you say she, you didn't know who she was during any of this, right? Like, no. you didn't have identity. You didn't have contact. Correct. I didn't know. And I say, actually, go a step further. You were not allowed to have contact at all, correct? Or ident- like, even if you guys had both consented to, am I remembering correctly? Yeah, we, were, we weren't allowed to have contact until after she had children and had the uterus removed. And then if we wanted to, we could have contact. Prior to that, like, we did send a few cards between each other with um, with the nurses helping, um, you know, and she had had the nurse mail me an ultrasound and stuff like that. But overall, we had no contact. Yeah. All right. So I, I mean, mean, sorry, real quick on the things, cards. Yeah. Can you could you even write you can write your name, right? Um, yeah, so we both signed our first names. Um, even on the day oh, of okay. surgery, I actually, me and my mom the night before, we went and made her a gift basket, um, you just like with some snacks and stuff. But yeah. I made sure to get her a really big bag of uh, pads because she was yeah. going to have her first period in her entire life. And I knew how bad <laughs> mine had been. And I'm like, well, if she gets the uterus, maybe she gets the really bad period. <laughs> So, so I did send, I sent her her first thing of pads and I wrote on the card, I'm really sorry if your periods are heavy. (laughs) Like I felt apologetic that I might actually be passing that on to her. Oh, that's funny. Did you, did you ever find, did you find out? 
Um, I, her cramping was not as bad as mine, but in general, yeah, they were pretty bad, but, <laughs> I mean, but she also, you know, she hadn't ever had a period. So I think any of them you're, you're in between yeah. like, so, so excited. Cause that means, oh, we're closer to embryo transfer where at the same time you're like, right. you don't really know what to expect. Like, True. is True. this normal? How do like, how do I even know if this is normal? Right. So, so talk about surgery itself. Cause I, I mean, I, I knew you when you were going into it and I did not, like, I wasn't even prepared for when you talked about it afterwards a little bit, like privately about how intense and how long it was. Yeah. So, um, when I went into surgery, well, the day before I had to basically repeat all of that testing that I mentioned. The only thing that really sucked was the MRI, MRI machine was broken. So oh, I wound wow. up in it for three hours instead of one. <gasps> Which is uh, so a nightmare when you already hated MRI machines. Yeah, so I was like, maybe I'll just crawl out and back out of this right now. Right? <laughs> I, I was I was completely panicking in there, um, but yeah. So surgery, I got there at like five in the morning, obviously because they want to check you in before your brain works. And um, <laughs> I met with everyone again. It was super sweet when they were wheeling me into the operating room. Like everybody's in the hallway waving, and I'm like. Aww. like how cute is this little parade um but I the average surgery for this is about 10 hours I was in there for 13 and a half it's a long time yeah, yeah yeah it was um I mean you know I've been a mom since I was very young so it was the best sleep I've ever had so <laughs> I didn't I didn't complain but you know my family's in the waiting room freaking out and friends are texting my mom like where do, we need updates we need updates um but yeah, I was I went in and had the surgery. Um, the only thing that I remember thinking when I woke up was, does she have blood flow? Like that's all I cared about because the first step when you do the transplant is for the blood flow to happen when she receives it. Um, right. But that's no. I that's all I remember thinking about. I didn't it's even. Amazing that your first thought is about her and whether it's her. working. Oh, yeah, like I didn't. Yeah. I didn't even care. I mean, at that point, I probably still couldn't feel my body, but like I didn't care about anything other than. Does she have blood flow? <laughs> and were they able to tell you anything or is it literally an embargo um, at that point? So they couldn't tell me right then just because they weren't sure yet. Um, but because when I woke up, they, they were still in surgery for her. But the next morning they did tell me that there was blood flow. So they, they were able to tell me like a few markers during the process, even though it was anonymous. They told me when she got blood flow. Um, they told me whenever she got a positive pregnancy after an embryo transfer, um, that was with Aww. her permission, but they did tell me. And then, so whenever she got to, um, the actual part where she was getting ultrasounds and stuff, that's when she had them mail me an ultrasound of wow. the pregnancy. And did her first transfer work or did she go through failed transfers? Her first transfer worked. Um, yeah. So they, they had success for the very first one. And, um, yeah. And what's the time like between the transfer, like the surgery to being able to transfer an embryo? Was that a long waiting period? Um, not really. So when they first started the surgery, because it was a trial, so, you know, there's a lot of scientific stuff going into it and you want to minimize the risks and whatever. Um, yeah. originally they were making the recipients wait a year before transfer. Um, and then now they've, now that they've kind of figured out they don't need to as long, it's three to six months and then you can transfer. Yeah. I mean, three months is pretty short. Yeah, yeah. So she, we had, 
we had surgery in August and she had her transfer in January. Okay. Wow. And then okay, you so, got to hear yeah. about a birth. Did they inform you of that? Yes. So um, she gave birth and she let the nurse send me, um, text me some pictures, which mm-hmm. obviously made me cry uncontrollably because it was so magical. Yeah. Just uh, you know, like, you know, you've seen your, when your kids are born, you've seen that first moment. And that first moment is why I do what I do every day anyway, helping people have babies. But to actually see on her face in the picture, the moment that she saw her baby was just, oh my gosh. Oh, wow. And so the rules, you know, as you said, like that you can't technically have contact, obviously, besides what you guys were referring back and forth until her uterus is removed and again, this is just fascinating to me on the overall is talk about the rules around how long people can have uteruses, when do they remove it and things like that, to the extent obviously that you knew and like what was going on at that time. Are they single use, like one one Uh, baby and then done? So they're at this point, they're allowing um, two. So you can use it twice as long as the first pregnancy doesn't have any complications. And I mean, even basics, like you can't have gestational diabetes, you can't give birth early, anything like that. My recipient's daughter happened to be about five weeks early. Um, So if you have any sort of complication whatsoever, then they do remove it after the birth. Um, but if you don't have complications, then you can go on to have a second baby and then they'll remove it. Though I do hear that now they're considering um, a third if both pregnancies go really well. So Wow. Oh, wow. And it, to me, it's crazy that they remove it, like that there's another surgery. And I don't know if you know anything about that or details, but I had heard with kidneys, they, they'll just like leave in like three or four kidneys in a, in a person's body. But I guess with uteruses, they take it out? Um, Well, they take it out. So if someone has to have more than one kidney, even whichever kidney they have that is actually functioning, they're on anti-rejection medication because the uterus doesn't, it's not a life-saving organ. It's not something you need to be alive. They don't want it in the body longer than it has to be so that you don't Mm -hmm. have to be on anti-rejection medications unnecessarily. Yeah. So... When did things change? When did you get to meet the recipient? So she gave birth in September of 2020. And in November, we got to meet of that year. November 2020, we got to meet. I flew out to Dallas. Um, She was still living there. Um, She's originally not from Texas. But if you, any of the trials you get accepted into, one of the agreements the recipients have to make is that they'll live where the trial is for two years so they can be monitored. Wow, that's a huge uh, life change yeah. to move there. Yeah, so she had moved to Texas, and um, so she was still there at that time So because she had to do her monitoring after. But um, I flew there, and, and we met. I was say, it was, I was say, there's a lot. there's a lot to this, though, because it wasn't as simple as you just got on a plane and just flew out there. There this was in the era of covid right yeah this was this was during covid yes um yeah and it was funny because i i was one of the people that you know i locked down completely i didn't leave my house for anything anything especially um because i have asthma and i just it wasn't a risk i wanted to take but then whenever they were like well you know if you can come here in november i was like all right what day 
Right. Like, like I was going to get on a plane, but I had to test before I leave, before I left here, I had to test when I landed and then I tested again um, at the hospital the day before I met her. And did you guys meet at the hospital, like curated by the staff? Is that how that works? Yeah. So we met, um, the surgeons and nurses got to be there. Um, the Dallas Morning News had somebody there, but yeah, we, so we met wow. there first and everybody, you know, got to see her, got to see the baby, got to see me. They care less about me than the baby. Let's be uh, honest. Right. <laughs> I mean, we're, I mean, all all there for the we're all there for the baby. Right. Um, you know, right. I, I loved, you know, just because of the work that we do with egg donation and surrogacy, watching the surgeons get to see this happen for me was a really big deal because I know professionally what it feels like to see something so personal and important pay off. Um, so them getting to see the family and see that this, you know, this risk they took on science worked, I thought was really neat. I was, ex I was really excited for the surgeons. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but then, so then, yeah, after we met and everybody got introduced and it was comfortable, then we left just me and the family and went to lunch and hung out and stuff like that. Yeah. And do you guys keep in contact? We do keep in contact um, quite a bit, actually. Um, I've seen them a few more times. They invited me last year for their daughter's first birthday. They invited me to their house. Um, so I flew there and spent the weekend with them, like just part of the family, you know, laying around on the couch, watching TV, you know, just hanging out, getting to meet the rest of their family, celebrate her daughter's birthday. So that was really cool. Um, whenever she was going to ask me, she was like, I hope this doesn't sound weird, but would you like to? And I'm like, that doesn't sound weird at all. <laughs> I mean, that definitely shows a level of closeness. Yeah. <laughs> to, to do that. And it, so, and then I saw them um, in May on Mother's Day weekend of this year, the hospital actually hosted a Mother's Day brunch for all of the donors, the recipients, the children. Wow. Um, yeah, so we all got to get together for the first time. A lot of us talk on Facebook and, and text yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and I've become close to a lot of the women, just because it's such a small community when you think about right. it. Um, but yeah, so I got to meet a lot of them and their children in person. And that was really cool. And, you know, like, you know, I was talking about how the surgeons get to see this pay off. Like they get to see a room full of all of their hard work and their families, including their children got to be there, which I think was nice. Cause I can only imagine, you know, when this kind of process, your schedule can often be made by, you know, whoever mother nature or all kinds of things. Um, so I'm pretty sure their parents were really, really involved with the work when they were doing the trial and yeah. they were probably proud of their moms and dads to see the surgeries work. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, looking back, I mean, is there any, for people who have ever thought about doing a uterine transplant, I don't even know if it's an option now. Is it, do you, is it more widely available after the trial? So it is an option. I know um, University of Alabama at Birmingham is actually still doing kind of a trial phase there. Um, they're using deceased donors, but I know Baylor, where I did the trial, they're now offering it as an actual medical option. I just oh. know it's not covered by insurance yet. Oh. So it's a very expensive right. medical option. Right. right. Yeah. 
But hopefully insurance will eventually cover it because, I mean, if you're born without a uterus, like, what do you do? Right. Right. So for those who have, you know, learned about this and were like you, that were like, oh, I want to do this. I feel called to it. What kind of questions do you get from them or what would you, you know, kind of warn them about or inform them about is important to know? Um, I think the most important thing um, to know afterwards, at least from my experience and other donors that I'm in contact with, um, the biggest complication that I had was some some pelvic floor issues, which I also had after the birth of my children. So women who've had kids, it's usually not uncommon to them. But the first two or three months, I felt like every time I moved, I was going to pee my pants. <laughs> Some, sometimes I may have but um, <laughs> like just making sure that you're prepared for a complication like that which for me is 90% better now but at the beginning you know it, it wasn't fun um, that was probably the the biggest thing for me is people asking me what the complications were and that was really the only complication I had um, my, my incisions healed really easy my recovery was really easy Um, people ask me, you know, did I get paid for it? Which as we know, you cannot get paid for organs in the United States. That's against the law. Um, so that's a no, I did not get paid for it. Um, you do have to pay for your own travel if you go to a program that's not local to you. Oh, wow. So it's even the opposite that you're not, you're not paid and you're paying to do this. nice. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the, that's the biggest question people ask me is, did I get paid and what are the complications? Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually not women who are wanting to do it that ask me about getting paid because they're, they're literally just wanting to do it. Everyone else is just like, why would you do that kind of questions? And I'm like, why not? Like if you literally can't give me a reason why not. Yeah. Wow. Um, so meaningful I what has this done to your life has it changed it in any way going through this experience um it has it's it well obviously it's brought my recipient into my life as someone I consider part of my family but even getting to know the other recipients and other donors especially the ones who've gotten to meet um Every single one of them is like a sisterhood. It's the strangest thing. It's like if your uterus matches someone, then they were actually meant to be your sister. It has to be. Um, Just the closeness of the women in this program um, has really been awesome. Um, I'm not going to lie. Not having a period anymore is fantastic. That that has changed my life in many ways, (laughs) Um, you know, just because those were so rough. But just being able to say that I was not only a part of something so neat, because I think that that part is really cool, but just the science part of it. Um, You know, because one of the things I said from the very beginning, because they do prepare you, they're like, you know, if it doesn't work, are you going to, like, they want to make sure you're mentally going to be okay. Like I'm not going into it expecting that a baby comes out of it or I'm going to regret having done it. Um, And for me, just being able to advance surgery any opportunity that I could advance surgery and science and stuff like that so that other people have options to have babies. Um, Just being able to actually get picked and be a part of that was pretty awesome. 
What a great perspective to to understand that even if it's not a baby, there is like huge value. In yeah, it, it's going to get us so much further. And I mean, the, somebody has to step up and, and do it, you know, and every time someone talks to me about, oh, I'm like, you know, that's so amazing you did that. And for me, it's, it's the medical team who have not only the intelligence and the forethought just to think of stuff like that, but to take that risk to say, you know what, I really want to try this. Let's do this. We, you know, we'll put together a trial. I think that's very brave. Um, the women who signed up for this as recipients, I think are probably for me, the most important part. Um, obviously the donors are amazing because you know, hello, it's a big old surgery, but like I, being told that you can never have kids, um, and that you, you know, that you don't have a uterus and, and babies aren't going to carrying a baby is not an option just to take a risk on a maybe possibly science thing that says, you know what, we might be able to do this. I can't imagine the level of hope that you go into with that, but at the same time, the level of fear. So I've just, I'm really proud to know the the recipients in this pro in this whole program. Yeah. And the level of commitment. It's not yeah, just like, yeah. we'll try this quick thing. It's right. moving your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a big risk. And, you know, I do know a couple women that it didn't work out for. Um, and, but it's, it's just so amazing to me to watch all these people say, you know what, we're going to try this. Yeah. Um, I, I have like the worst, uh, mindset, my thoughts, but, uh, did they offer you your, your uterus back or like, they're like, okay, goodbye to your uterus. <laughs> what happened to your uterus afterwards? So my uterus went in the trash. Uh, one of the, first, yes. Yes. one of the first questions my mom actually asked them even before surgery was like, you know, when her recipient's done with it, can she donate it to someone else? Like, like my mom just wanted that thing to keep on going. Good. Well, I'm glad your mom asked. <laughs> Is it like the sisterhood of the traveling uterus? Is that right. what we're doing here? Oh my gosh. Yeah. She, she was just like, can, can they donate it somewhere else? Um, which I think one day would be really neat. Right. You know, but yeah. But and I still, I still have my ovaries, so there's no menopause yet. Yeah. Um, which is nice. Um. And oh, the hospital that I had the surgery at is actually the hospital I was born at. What? Yeah, that's amazing. That is an amazing coincidence. Yeah. So whenever I first found out about the trial, and I had asked the girl, I'm like, so you know, like, where, where did you go? And she's like, Baylor in Dallas. And I was like, Whoa, mom! Like, how cool is this? And so yeah, for me, it was it was so full circle for the transplant to happen there and then for the baby to be born there. It was really neat. That's absolutely amazing. Well, we are so, so impressed with you and amazed by your story and appreciate you coming to, to share it with us. Yeah, no, of course. I'm sure I'm forgetting half of the things (laughs) that I could possibly tell you, but what's new? Um, Oh, I was, I was the fifth robotic surgery in the world. So that was what? cool. Yeah. Wow. So, so I only have five small scars instead of one big one. That's cool. Yeah. So that was pretty neat. But they tell you before they put you under, we don't know until we get in there if we're going to be able to do robotics. So just prepare to be woke up with scars. <laughs> oh, and you're like, surprise, you don't get, you don't yeah. have scars. And I'm like, oh, these are, these are pretty cool. Um, not, mm-hmm. not too bad. I'm very proud of them. Um, incredibly proud of them. I, you know, when you're like, 
22 and you have like one little something like you cut yourself on something and you don't want anybody to see it in your bathing suit now i'm in my bathing suit like you see all these scars i need you to see these scars maybe um a tattoo that points and said these are from a uterus right donation yeah ask me about my uterus <laughs> yeah ask me exactly yeah so it's um yeah i mean you could barely see them now but i'm very oh. very proud of them very proud we are very proud of you. I mean, again, like I said, to start off, like you are just such an amazing human being. And this is just, thank you so much for sharing it with us. And for, I'm so glad you're finally able to share it with the world. Cause I think it's, it's so important. It's such a little known thing and it's so important for people to hear about it and that this is possible. Yeah. Now that, I mean, now that she's had her baby and you know, the trial's completed, like I obviously I wanted, I mean, I share my story a little bit on social media. I, I, I do get a lot of women who message me, private message me who actually just found out that they have MRKH, which is the, mm. which is the disorder that causes you to be born without a uterus. So they're 16, 15, they're coming from their gynecologist and they see my hashtags and they ask me about it. So I've been able to put them in touch with some of the recipients who are willing to talk to those young girls, Um, you know, because I can't give them personal experience based on it. But there there has been a lot of outreach um, from young girls who are terrified because someone just told them that they can't have kids when they weren't even thinking about having kids. Um, and now they have resources of women all over the world that are willing to, to talk to them so they don't feel alone, which I think has been a blessing to come out of all of this. And new options and hope that yeah. weren't available a few years ago. Yeah. You want to know who the very first person I told about the surgery was? There was a yes. stranger. <laughs> Tell us. Carrot Top. What? Yeah. On my, on my way to Dallas for surgery, I was sitting there waiting for my flight super early in the morning. And this guy sits down next to me and I'm paying no attention to him. But then he has like, you know, this orange, orange colored hair, but I see these like purple and pink and blue streaks in it. And I'm just, you know, I'm being friendly and I'm like, Oh, I love your, your streaks in your hair. I thought he looked like Sean White. He's probably going to kill me if he ever hears this for any reason. (laughs) (laughs) But he finally introduced himself, and he was Carrot Top. He asked what I was traveling for, and when I told him, then I realized this is literally the first stranger I've ever told about this. <laughs> wow. Carrot Top in an airport at 7 a.m. And was he <laughs> suitably impressed? Oh, yes. He thought it was so cool. So cool. But I was just, you know, and I'm like, well, I want to hear some jokes. No, I didn't say that to him. <laughs> I didn't say that to him, but... You know, like if, if you're a funny guy, I do want to hear some funny stuff. But yeah, so that was the first stranger I ever told. Um, I probably would have told more people, but I was kind of quiet that first time when I thought I was matched. And then when the match fell apart, then the second time, I just, I didn't tell anybody until I was literally on a plane going. Yeah. Um, well, and now you have standards that you only tell celebrities. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I, you have to at least have some sort of card with Hollywood or I'm not going right. to tell you anything now. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we made the cut then. Thank goodness. <laughs> Y'all are extra famous. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, you. Thank you, Nikki. You are so amazing. We we appreciate you you sharing your story and and everything with us. So we will have you come back again. But this for now, this was amazing. Yeah. No. Maybe one day my my recipient will want to talk to you guys and tell you her side. That would be yes, lovely. That would be amazing. So thank you so much.
No, thank you guys for having me on. I'm sorry it took so long. <laughs> no, we're, we're happy. <laughs> thank you to Nikki for being just an absolute incredible person and for sharing mm-hmm. your story and this amazing journey, as we always like to use the word journey, right? The journey um, with us. And she is just, again, I can't say this enough times, like she is the most incredible and nicest human being I I have like had the pleasure of running across at all times. I've I've never heard her say anything negative. Again, she says her mom will dispute this, but like she is a genuine, nice human. So, um, but if you all want to be genuine, nice humans, we would love it if you would leave us a review. Uh, of course, you can go to iTunes. You can click on the little stars. It's that easy. Or you can leave us a message at 303-997-1903 or shoot us an email through our website. We love to hear ideas for guests, what you want to hear, what you want to, well, I would say what you want to see, but you can't see us, which is probably good. Um, but definitely what you want to hear and we'll do our best to, to get those people on. And Thank I've heard, you. you know, oh, yeah. Giving a gift to others really makes you feel good. So I would just try it. Like, try leaving a nice review and see how it makes yeah. you feel. Let us know. See if it makes you feel really good. Yeah. yeah. And then you can go to our Facebook group and tell us how good you feel. See, I, it, it's all a big circle. Um, huge, huge thank you to our team that makes us sound, you know, at, at least tolerable to you and make you come back. Um, huge thank you to Tyler, to Melissa to Amanda. And of course, as always, thank you to you for listening and being with us every week.